Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. From the blackest corners of your mind, they call, pulling you deep into shadow, twisting your senses, keeping you from sleep. It's time to face your darkest fears. This is Tales to Terrify. Good evening, children of the night, and welcome. A quick reminder to start off the week, we are officially open for submissions. Short form, long form, up to 10,000 words of terror. If you've got a horrible tale burning its way through your cerebral cortex, why not let it out into the world and send it our way? TalesToTerrify.com slash submissions. You can find details about what we're looking for and how to submit. On a more personal note, I had the absolute pleasure of spending last weekend in Victoria, British Columbia. It's a beautiful spot this time of year, full of lush gardens and floating cherry blossoms. But, unsurprisingly, probably my favorite part of our whole trip were the late-night walks around downtown and the Esquimalt Gorge. As one of the oldest cities in Western Canada, downtown Victoria is full of history, and that means hauntings, too. From the former jailhouse and gallows that still houses many of the dead below its foundation, to the ghosts of North America's second oldest Chinatown after San Francisco, to the specters of the Empress Hotel and Parliament buildings, we had some incredibly memorable and a few creepy experiences. The strangest thing we experienced was during a 2 a.m. walk out on a public dock. We were there for quite a while, before wandering further out into the portion of the dock over the water, and discovering we were surrounded by hundreds of fresh, wet, human bare footprints. We'd seen nobody enter the water, nobody walk off the dock, The footprints just kind of started and stopped on the dock itself. There was no real clear path onto it, other than straight into the frigid, rushing water. Not long after discovering that, we heard two huge splashes from across the river, directly in front of us. And I have to admit, as much as we were tempted, we didn't stick around to see what made them. The Ross Bay Cemetery was another favorite stop, a proper Gothic-style cemetery where we spent a few hours roaming the crumbling tombstones and mausoleums. Overall, it was a fantastic trip 
that really left me in the mood for some frightening fiction. And, I'm happy to say, that's exactly what I've got in store for you this evening. So let's get to it. We have one tale for you this evening, which comes from Patrick Barb. Patrick Barb is an author of weird, dark, and horrifying tales, currently living, and trying not to freeze to death, in St. Paul, Minnesota. His debut short story collection, pre-approved for haunting, is forthcoming from Keylight Books slash Turner Publishing in October 2023. In addition, he is an active member of the HWA and a full member of the SFWA. Visit him at patrickbarb.com or follow him on Twitter at pbarb. Children of the Night, join me for Patrick Barb's My Dad the Monster King, first published in Boneyard Soup magazine. Standing on the bottom step of the front porch, I watched Dad nudge the dead, giant monster stretched across our lawn. The toe of his worn-down brown loafer presses against its grayish-pink belly. I force myself to move, but don't get too far. One foot dangles above the walkway, and the other stays right there on the last step, waiting for my brain to catch up and say, Go on, then. Don't stand there like some kind of fraidy cat. Blades of grass, left uncut for weeks this summer, droop down onto the bricks. They tickle the toes of my braver foot through the end of one of my new jellies. Usually our neighbor, Tommy Nelson, with his baggy jean shorts and thrift store t-shirt with the roses and skull on it, the one he cut the sleeves off of, would be out here dragging Dad's nearly rusted-out push mower from our backyard shed and up to the front lawn. But Tommy's off working as a counselor the whole summer for his church camp, on account of him crashing his dad's truck into their garage after he got wasted at one of the high schoolers' field parties. So that's why dad's out here now, after letting the grass grow so high that some of it's taller than mama's rose bushes. I don't think dad's going to get any of that mowing done today, though. The dead monster is big. Really, really big. Not even the grass, tall as it is, does much to hide it. The monster's body covers the width of our lawn, but keeps going after that. One of its feet got smashed somehow, maybe run over by Tommy's dad in the truck that he just got back from the shop. The monster's toes sit across the Nelson's driveway, flattened like the roadkill we passed on that back road Dad took us down for our last drive to Grandma Cynthia's. Each crushed toe ends in a black talon. 
Shards of broken talon glitter in Mama's rose bushes. Amelia Molly, do you see this? Dad asks me. He rubs one of his hands across the black ink splatter stubble of his sandpaper tanned cheeks. I nod from my perch on the last step. He waves for me to come closer. He wants me to come stand by him, though he doesn't say it. He doesn't say anything else. I can tell. I should do it, right then and there, ASAP. So I do. Of course, that doesn't stop me from taking the long way round to get there. I press up tight against the lattice under the front porch, move real carefully to make sure I avoid the thorns on Mama's more ambitious roses. When I'm over at the Nelson's driveway, the back of last year's summer dress barely touches their still-dented garage door. Once that's done, I cross their yard and step down onto the steaming black asphalt of the street. After all that, I loop back up and join Dad. We stand together on the edge of our grass, keeping our backs to the curb. Dad crouches down. His hands rest on sunburnt kneecaps that peek out from the frayed bottoms of his khaki shorts. We're almost, but not quite, eye to eye. He looks at me, opens his mouth like he's about to say something. But then he says nothing and looks back at the dead monster in the grass. Amelia Molly, do you see this monster too? He asks. I nod again. The words still won't come, but my tears sure do. I feel them run down my cheeks before my brain has a chance to yell at him. No, no, stop it. Dad slaps a hand down hard over a knee. God, it, he says, except he says the whole word. That sets me off crying harder. My lips wiggle and wobble, and I hear this bullfrog sound come up from inside my chest, through my throat, and out into the world. Oh, no, 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 Bunny Bear, I'm not yelling because of you, Dad says. He rubs his thumbs under each of my eyelids, smearing tears down my cheeks. Once I get control of my lips, the bullfrog in my throat takes a rest. I make my confession. I'm not crying because you yelled, Daddy. Oh, yeah? Why are you crying, then? Unlike most grown-ups, when Dad asks a question like that, he does expect you to answer. And you can expect him to listen, to really listen. So I give him my answer quick as I can. I'm crying because you can see the monsters, too. And if you can see it, then that means it's real. Earlier in the day, Mama got home from her usual Saturday morning grocery store run. She parked our blue minivan across the street and walked up to the front door. She likes to say the extra bit of walking is the only exercise she gets all week. Whenever she says that, Dad mumbles something and leaves to go to work on one of his projects in the shed. This morning, like every Saturday morning, Mama walked across the front yard. Plastic grocery bags hung off her arms like they were baby possums. Taking a break from my cartoons, I watched her coming from the big bay window by our front door. Except, when I looked out, I didn't see Mama walking on the grass. Standing on tiptoes so I could just see over the windowsill, I watched her walk right across a dead monster. And she looked like she didn't even know it was there. She must have knocked on the door three times before I heard her. 
My goodness, Amelia, is your head in the clouds? She asked when I finally opened up. I don't remember what I said back, or if I said anything. It didn't matter to Mama. She'd said her piece, and with that done, she'd walked right past me and into the kitchen. She left the front door wide open, giving me a clear view of our lawn and the unmistakable and unavoidable sight of some giant monster's dead body. From the kitchen, Mama said something about molehills in the yard and about how Ben, that's Dad, needs to do something about them before they get out of hand. I make myself look at the monster again. I figure if Dad can do it, then why not me? I can count Mama's footprints arcing across its fat belly, like she'd gone hiking through a snowdrift. I let everything spill out in one burst. I tell Dad everything I'd seen up to us standing here. My words come out snorty and blubbery, each one fighting the other to make it out first. Dad holds his hands out again, this time with his palms cupped. He does it that way so I can put my smaller hands in his. Once they're in place, he walks forward and I have to follow. He moves us closer to the dead monster's face. I don't like it. I don't want to go. But I can't pull away. Of course I want to pull away. Or maybe not. Maybe I want to keep my hands in his but then somehow becomes strong enough so I can pull him back. No, Daddy, I maybe want to say. Let's get away. Maybe he senses what I'm thinking, because he gives both of my hands a squeeze. It's okay, honey. It can't hurt you. It's dead, after all. We stand next to the big dead monster's big fuzzy dead head. Curly brown fur like muddy sheep's wool covers its face. Instead of lips, a long yellow beak sticks out from the center of its face. I'm glad that its eyes are closed. You want to know why I can see it? Dad asks. All I can do is nod. He smiles. I think he knew I'd do that. I can see it because I'm the Monster King, he says. Dad's got bags under his eyes. I already told you about the stubble on his cheeks. He also makes a good grilled cheese sandwich and tomato soup for our lazy afternoon lunches. He snores, and he yells at Mama when she says anything about it. But he says he loves her, and I know he loves me. Those are all the things I know that make my dad special. None of them involve him being a king, and certainly not a monster. I don't believe you, Daddy, I say. Is that so? He doesn't follow up with anything else. Instead, he reaches past me and grabs the dead monster by the beak. It's only once he has that in his hands that he asks me, But you believe in this? Of course, Daddy. Dad whispers something under his breath that I can't quite catch. I think it might be a prayer. Then he pulls on the top and bottom halves of the beak, separating them slowly. He pulls so hard I worry he'll rip the beak right off the monster's face. I imagine it's blood, probably a neon green or maybe black like a starless night sky, spraying out and covering us from head to toe.
And you believe that I can see this too? Dad asks. Yes, Daddy. So why is it so hard to believe that I'm the Monster King? I can't help it. I look inside the monster's beak. It's dark in there, like something inside there is keeping out all the sunshine that surrounds us. Inside the monster, there's only more darkness. Because, Daddy, I can see those things. Is that so? Yes, sir. He opens the beak wider and wider. The darkness inside grows. Amelia Molly, put your hand in here and grab out whatever you find that's not attached to anything. Dad says. Like I said before, Dad's got that way of saying things and then following them up with a look that says, or else. So I'm not surprised, but still scared half to death, when I look down and find my hands already inside the monster's beak. I wiggle my fingers, not feeling much of anything inside there except the cold. It's the middle of summer, but I can feel goose pimples racing up from my hand to my shoulder. I wonder if my insides will feel this cold when I die. I don't get to think about that for too long, though. My fingers touch... something. I found something! I found something! I want to yank my hand from this cold, dark, dead monster and get a high five from Dad. But I remember my job's only halfway done. My fingers tingle. I can't tell if it's from the cold or my excitement. I squeeze them around the something slick that they've touched. That's how the monsters of Here There Be Island carry important messages. In their mouths. Dad says, like it's just regular old boring news. The kind of information he'd spout off about cornfields seen from our car windows on family road trips. I pull my hand out and into the warmth and light of the summer day. The photograph I found inside the dead monster's beak comes with me. Once my hand is clear, Dad lets go of the beak. The monster's head crashes to the grass and the beak snaps shut, banging closed like a screen door in a windstorm. What's this? I ask, holding the photo out for Dad. After it's in his hand, he brings it up close to his eyes, squinting like he's trying to make out what's printed on the photo paper. But I already know that he knows what's on it. Don't you recognize it? He asks. His tone lets me know that he also knows that I know what's in the photograph. Still, he flips the photo around to give me another look. In the photo, a little boy, probably around my age, stands next to an unmade bed. He wears a monster costume, something from a long-ago Halloween. It's the kind of costume that's just a plastic mask and a sack with a picture of the monster printed on it, draped over the costume wearer. The boy's pulled his mask down. The empty-eyed monster's face hangs from his neck. You can just make out the hospital bracelets on the boy's wrists. I've seen that same photo for as long as I can remember. But instead of finding it inside a monster's beak, I usually saw it sitting in the center on Grandma Cynthia's mantle, 
right beside that old silver urn with that other photo taped to it. That blurry black and white image of my Uncle Greg that doctors took from inside Grandma's tummy, from before he was never born. Uncle Greg never got to see the sunshine like Daddy and me, or so Grandma likes to say whenever she and Daddy get to arguing like they usually do. I wonder what Uncle Greg would say if he got to see a real dead monster like this one. It's you, I say. It was carrying a picture of you. Dad nods. I wore that costume the night I became the Monster King. All of the questions explode out of me. I tried to hold him back, but I'm just a kid. I can't help it. How did you become Monster King? Where do monsters live? Are they nice? Do you have a crown? Why did this one come to our house? Why did it die? Dad puts up a hand and gives me another look that tells me I better quiet down. Across the street, Mrs. Holly pushes her baby Blake's stroller past Mama's minivan. I watch the chubby-cheeked, strawberry-stained baby leaning forward to watch us. His eyes lock onto the dead monster at our feet. When its head fell to the ground, one of the monster's eyes came open. Seeing it now, it's as horrible as I thought it'd be, maybe worse. The baby's screams come, and they won't stop. Of course, he can see the monster, too. Hush, hush, hush. Mrs. Holly leans into her stroller, trying to distract her baby, get him to stop screaming his little head off at what I'm sure to her looks like nothing more than me and Dad standing in our too tall grass, staring down at absolutely nothing, except more grass. With that baby showing no signs of stopping, Mrs. Holly straightens up and turns to us with a smile that she can barely hold on her face. Sorry for the noise! Dad gives her a wave, but he doesn't say anything back to her. He doesn't have to. The wave does the trick. Mrs. Holly shrugs. Her bony shoulders lift her tank top, and I can see her black bra stretched under her arm. Then she's on her way, pushing her still-screaming baby down the block and away from me, from Dad, and from the dead monster that's between us. I listen to the baby's crying get further and further away. I'm so focused on that fading sound, I miss Dad climbing up onto the monster. I hear his feet squishing against its body. My head snaps back around so fast, I'm surprised it doesn't pop right off and plop down into the grass. Daddy! I call for him, thinking he'll stop, thinking he'll turn around, scoop me up in his arms, and carry me with him to the porch. But he doesn't answer, or even look back. Daddy! I call again. He's almost at the walkway. Soon enough, he'll be on the porch. I don't take the long way around on my way back. I follow Dad's path, right up and over the dead monster. Wait for me! Dad steps off the monster's squishy body. I'm behind, but not too far. I'm hopping, crawling, bouncing, trying to catch up. Daddy, wait for me! I wish he'd turn around. Then I feel my feet pedaling away in the air like I'm some sort of cartoon character who's run out of luck and solid ground. I've made it across the yard and over the dead monster. I land hard on the walkway. 
and scraped both knees against the bricks. I don't look down, but I can already feel blood squeezing its way out when I bend my knees. I look up in time to see the front door slam shut. I can't believe Dad left me out here all alone, with a dead monster. When I do get inside, Mama's standing by the window. There are black rings around her eyes from where her mascaras run. She's on me fast, like that hawk at Grandma Cynthia's, the one that caught up the new puppy Dad got me for Christmas. The one I never got to name. Not officially, at least. Mama's words come to me like half-finished bits of songs I'd hear when Dad would fiddle with the car radio dial, looking for that just-right song for the road. Amelia, what did I... You're inside, okay? She looks up from me to the balled-up piece of tissue she's squeezing tight in her hand. It's already decorated with the black and red streaks of her makeup. My hands drop down to cover my knees. Blood's already crusting over on both. If I take my hand away, it'll look like I've got two big prize-winning blackberries glued to my kneecaps. Mama shoves the tissue deeper into her fist. Come on, she says. Let's get you cleaned up. I push her hand away. She flinches when we make contact. Her eyes dart down the hallway to my parents' bedroom. Their door is closed. Sorry, Mama, I say. I gotta go help Daddy. Mama straightens herself up. Then she steps out of the way. She moves slow, like the way people move in a dream. I push their bedroom door open and hear Mama say something from behind me. Don't bother him, Amelia. He doesn't want anyone's help right now. But what does she know? She probably doesn't even know that he's the Monster King. I close the door behind me. It looks like the room itself has gone sick and has started barfing up its insides. Dad stands in the middle of the chaos, pulling out everything he can get his hands on, from out of drawers or down from closets. He dumps it all onto the bedroom floor. Dad's mess spreads out from his feet to the doorway where I stand. I watch him work. He takes an object, looks at it, judging it in a second. Then he drops it to the floor and repeat. I wonder, if I move closer, will he pick me up and judge me too? Dad's got my duffel bag, the big blue one with my name stitched across it in pink letters. It's the one I use for sleepovers and plane trips. He has it slung over his shoulder. It looks so small against his body. That's mine, I say. What's that? I told you I don't want to talk. Don't make me tell you. That's my bag. Dad glances down at the bag like he's noticing it for the first time. Then he looks at me. Oh, Amelia, it's you. That's my bag, I say again. Now that we're inside, away from the monster, I'm feeling bolder, braver, a little bit at least. I tiptoe closer, trying to get a better look at the half-zipped opening of my bag. At first, all I see is darkness. Almost, but not quite, like the kind inside that dead monster's beak. It's funny, I guess the zipper does kind of look like teeth in a certain light. My eyes adjust, and I can make out shapes inside the bag. A rubber ball, 
my old t-ball bat, and something that looks like a chalk-white bone. Seeing that last item and thinking for a split second it might be a real bone, I almost fall on my butt. But I quickly realize the bone is just another toy. This time it's one Dad bought for the never-named dog I lost at Grandma's. What are you doing, Daddy? Dad talks to me like grown-ups do when they're having serious grown-up conversations. And he says, I'm looking for a door in the floor, but I have to gather the right items first. A ball, a bat, and a bone. That's how you get to the monster's home. He looks at me like he expects me to say something back, like I'm supposed to recognize the words he's just said. Like they're supposed to mean something. But I don't recognize them and they don't mean anything to me at all. Dad shakes his head and gets back to his work. That's not good enough for me. I wrap my arms around his legs, pressing my face against the pocket of his shorts, smelling grass and spilled beer that soaked into the stitching. Whoa, easy there, he says. Take me with you. I don't believe it when I start but by the time I'm finished, it's the only thing in the world I could have ever wanted. Dad brushes his hands through my hair, tucking it back behind my ears. He holds his hands in place for a moment. Then he pushes me back. Not a hard shove, but not gentle either. It's too dangerous, he says. The monsters, they'd gobble you up, bunny bear. He whispers the words. I guess he does it so Mama can't hear us. But I don't care, so I don't whisper back. They won't hurt me, not if you're with me too. If you're the Monster King, then that makes me the Monster Princess, which means that someday I'll be their queen. Dad makes a new sound. Somewhere between a sob and one of those laughs you just can't hold in, even though you know you'll get in trouble for letting it out. Then we hear the door open. Not the door behind us that leads us back to the hallway. Not the closet door either. The creaking sound of the opening door comes from right beneath our feet. Get back, Dad says. I do what he says again. And the door in the floor, a door I assure you was not there before, opens. From below, light fills the room. The light that comes up from the other side of the floor? It's outside light, so bright it makes me blink. I inch closer, careful to avoid kicking anything over and through the open door, sending it down to God only knows where. Once I get to where I think I'm close enough, I crouch down and peer through the rectangle-shaped hole in the world. I look down on sunshine and cotton ball clouds, like something out from a storybook picture of a land far, far away. Though not so far anymore. My fingertips move along the edge of the doorframe. I want to, I need to, get a better look at it all. I lean forward. Down past the clouds, I see dark ocean waters swirling. Foam-capped waves crash and splash against the snow-white beach sands of an island. 
The island's palm trees wave a mass hello over and over again. The monsters cry out all at once. Their screeches and bellows shake the trees far more than any wind could. Their shouts move grains of sand into whirlwinds that leave the island and dance with the waves. But then those waves stop and the seas calm once the monster's chorus reaches them. The sound must then travel up, up, up until it crosses the doorway and climbs into my parents' bedroom. When it reaches my ears, I feel myself vibrate from the inside out. Fingers trembling, I try to hold on to the frame. What if I just let go? What if I lean in and then let myself fall down, down, down? Will I crash into the water? Get swallowed up by inky darkness? Maybe I'll hit the beach with enough force to send sand back up through the door and onto this pile of Mama's bras here by my elbow. Maybe, just maybe, I'll fall into the open mouth of another monster, catch it mid-roar so it chokes at first before swallowing me whole. Gulp. Will Dad look down and say, I told you so? Dad grabs my leg and yanks me from the open door. Get away from there. He pulls me to my feet, his hands squeezing my wrists. I can already see red marks, a paint spill splatter pattern running up and down my arms, just like Mama had. Look at me, he says. Daddy, that hurts. He lets go without warning just as quickly as he grabbed me. My hands fall, slapping palms against my thighs. He turns away. With his back to me, Dad stands over the open door. His shoulders shake. I move carefully, trying to get into position. Something drives me on. I need to see. I get halfway to the other side of the doorframe, close enough that when I look down, I can see the red, spiky mohawk and giant brown leather bat wings of a monster poking up over the island palms. And when I look up, I see tears racing through Dad's stubble. I can't tell what's scarier what I see above, or what I see below. Stop, Amelia Molly, Dad says. I stop. I listen. I watch. He takes his time. He knows I'll mind him. I always do. Now he moves, not like he's in a dream, but like he's dancing, every step practiced until perfection. He turns around again, facing away from the door on the floor. From below us, the monster's roars grow louder. Their cries sound like chalkboard fingernail scratches and airplane engines. But beneath the fierce, ferocious noise, I can also hear them singing. They're singing about Dad. Benji's mother told him, I love you forever. Will you love me? Benji said, never. She said to her son, you're more monster than child, and she sent him away for being too wild. Then Benji decided, this house is no fun. 
he started to look for other places to run. He packed up his sack with a ball, bat, and bone, since that's how you get to the monster's home. He opened the door that appeared in the floor, and he climbed down the ladder that led to the shore. On Here There Be Island, monsters dance day and night. They fight and they claw and they scratch and they bite. When the monsters saw Benji, they asked, Are you real? Was he a friend or a foe or a tasty young meal? Benji looked at those monsters and he made his decision, narrowed his eyes with a serious child's precision. What these monsters need is some true royalty, so with these monsters, a king is the thing I will be. To be monster king, first you must pass the king test, said the current monster king who commanded the rest. The monsters lined up all in monstrous rows, but then little Benji just stepped on their toes. The monsters all shouted, now that isn't fair, and Benji responded by pulling their hair. The monsters cried out and then fell to the ground, and then they got up to give Benji his crown. He ruled over the monsters for exactly ten days. Then on the eleventh, a whisper came through the haze. Come back home, dear. Come back and be with your mother. I'm lonely without you and can't bear another moment away from your love and your laughter. Come home, my dear boy, for a happily ever after. As Benji climbed up to the voice from above, the monsters cried out, but that's not love. We love you because of all your imperfections, and we won't subject you to our fears and rejections. He whispered a promise to someday return, news all the monsters were happy to learn. But he hasn't come back, though he said that he would. All the monsters still down here think that he should. Hearing the song, I think about what Mama said out in the hallway. I wonder if I heard her wrong. Maybe she didn't say, he doesn't want anyone's help right now. Maybe she said, he doesn't want anyone's love right now. For his part, Dad cinches my duffel bag strap tighter so that it rests flush against his upper back. He stopped crying. He holds a hand out for me. Come on, then he says, expecting I'll mind him the same as before. I don't take it. Dad lets his hand drop. I think I see him smile. Not one of those fake, happy smiles, but a real one. The kind you can't make up. It's hard to miss once you know it's there, he says. He steps through the door and drops down, but not too far. I figure out quickly he's landed on the ladder the monsters mentioned in their song. Dad takes another step down. Now I can only see him from the chest up. Finally, we're face to face and eye to eye. He takes a deep breath. Once he does, the monsters go quiet. I'm already quiet as I can be. We're all waiting for whatever comes next. Grandma Cynthia died today. I know, Dad. 
I've seen that picture of my uncle who never was. I watched the dog, the one I would have called Maurice, if anyone had asked me, get carried away up to heaven. I can open our front door and know all there is to know about death. Dead doesn't scare me, I say. The monsters have started up again. This time, I hear them calling my name. They ask, they beg me to come down and play. We've made you a new crown, so please come on down. Come sit on your throne, we're all so alone. No. That's the last thing I hear Dad say to the monsters before he's gone down the ladder. I watch him go. I move closer to the door, but not too close. Just close enough to see him pass through the clouds. Shut the door behind me. Don't let any more of them out. It's too much for them, the world. The door's heavy. I can barely get my fingers under it. But once I do, it's just a matter of giving it a little push. Then when it's shut, I hear somebody knocking. It's coming from the hallway. I step out and close the bedroom door behind me. Mama's there, waiting for me. I cry into her hair. She shushes me. She says it's okay. Calls me her brave girl. I ask her if she'll give me a French braid tomorrow. She wipes her tears away and says, Yes. Are you crying because of Grandma Cynthia? I ask. She shakes her head no. Then she nods. Then she shrugs her shoulders. I wrap my arms around her neck, lean in and whisper, I understand. I think I feel the same way. That makes Mama laugh, even though she's still crying. I like it whenever I can make Mama laugh. Behind us, the bedroom door opens. Dad's back. He looks at me. He looks at Mama. Blood, dark green like Christmas tree needles, but blood nonetheless, and ashes cover his face. It's like he's wearing another Halloween monster mask. His eyes look older. If Mama can see what's on his face, she doesn't act like it. I'm sorry, he says. His mouth keeps moving, but no other sound comes. I think there must be more he wants to say. But we'll let wait for him. Let him say it later. I wave him over. Come on, Dad, I say. He bends down and joins our hug, one arm around me and one arm around Mama. I don't think I'll see the monster on our lawn when I walk outside next. At least, I hope I don't.
That was Patrick Barb's My Dad the Monster King, as read by Nicole Swanson. Nicole Swanson is an actor and producer from Augusta, Georgia, who has discovered she loves hiding away in her closet and telling stories to her loyal companion, Blackjack the Studio Dog. An occupational therapist in the Georgia Corrections System, when not narrating, Nicole enjoys a good cup of coffee while sitting on her porch swing and listening to the rain on a dark and stormy night. Discover more of Nicole's adventures at NicoleSwansonVO.com. Thank you, Nicole. Well, children of the night, the hour is late, and we've run out of tales to tell. For now. Tales to Terrify is made possible by the tremendous generosity of our supporters on Patreon and PayPal. Incredible fans like Amanda Carrillo, Amanda Gottfried, Kathy Robinson, Lessel Baxter, Orion D. Hegra, and Paul Belcher, whose generous support helps keep the lights on and flickering ominously. Not a supporter already? Head over to patreon.com slash tales to terrify where you'll find all kinds of perks, like ad-free episodes, bonus content, and one-of-a-kind collectibles and merch packs. Every dollar goes back into this show to make it as horrific as possible, and we appreciate it so much. Want another way to support the show that doesn't cost a cent? Head over to Stitcher, Podchaser, or Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. You'll not only put an unnaturally wide smile on our faces, but help new listeners discover our terrifying tales, too. Why not share your love of the show out in the world with some Tales to Terrify merch? TalesToTerrify.com slash merch will take you to our Public store, where we've got a great collection of creepy custom and curated designs that's always growing. Tales to Terrify is produced by Seth Williams, Meredith Morgenstern, Andrew Gibson, and myself, Drew Sebastini, with original theme by Nebulous Entertainment. Tales to Terrify is distributed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no-derivatives license. Join us again next week as we explore dark passageways in search of more tales to terrify.